Welcome to North Boston Korean United Methodist Church. Here we are a family that seeks to love others the way Jesus loved us and raise people up in his love. We are grateful to have you listening. Regardless of who you are, you are welcome here. For more information, check out our website at mbkumc.com. yesterday not not necessarily yesterday honestly but because we've been in this quarantine so long but it does feel like not too long ago when this quarantine started and we're already nine ten months in um lots have happened this week lots have happened this week and and um i'm not really sure if you guys are aware but there are, are a lot of more reasons for our community to be grieved as our brothers and sisters or um, the pains of our brothers and sisters who are also um, on death row for reasons um, for reasons that some might think are justifiable and some might think are not justifiable um, are brought to our attention. Um, our reaction to every injustice is to pray. Uh, so could we just take one moment to pray uh, for those who are aching at the hand of government-sanctioned death? Um, and for those who, uh, who's, who might not agree with that, um, so that we can all be in one spirit with the body of Christ, uh, weeping with those who weep and mourning with those who mourn. So let's just take just one minute to pray, starting now. Okay, uh, we're going to continue through our sermon series on Micah. Uh, we have been reading through Micah for Advent. Um, we went through Micah chapters 1 through 5. And uh, for those of us who might not have been here, uh, Micah is about God's hope, his indictment and his hope uh, in the midst of injustice in Israel. And uh, one of the key themes of this year's Advent series is that God's promise of Jesus Christ comes in the midst of injustice, not on a personal level, but on, an, on a historic national level. That's where Jesus and the promise of Jesus comes, along with a warning to come before the Lord. The, the hope of Jesus comes hand in hand 
with a message of hope against injustice. And it comes hand in hand with a warning for Israel to come before the Lord. Um, and we're continuing to read past Micah 5 into Micah chapter 6. Uh, so if you guys can open your Bibles with me to Micah chapter 6. Micah is after Jonah, before Nahum. Um, so Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah. Right, it's in the minor prophets, towards the end of the Old Testament. Micah chapter 6, I'll be reading from verses 1 through 8. Micah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. I'm reading from the ESV. It's kind of difficult language, so if you guys wanted to read from the NIV or the NRSV, that's fine. We are reading for the sake of Advent in holy reverence and expectation of the second coming of Jesus. So can we rise? Uh, from wherever you guys are, whether it's in your beds or in your chairs, if you guys can all rise with me for God's holy and perfect word. This is the word of the Lord. Hear what the Lord says. Arise. Plead your case before the mountains and let the hills hear your voice. Hear you mountains, the indictment of the Lord and you enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has an indictment against his people and he will contend with Israel. Oh, my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. And I sent before you Moses Aaron and Miriam. Oh, my people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, devised, and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him. What happened from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on a high? Shall I come with him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord, will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams and ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O oh man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you remain standing with me as we pray? Abba, we come with awe and reverence. We are broken. Our nation is broken. Our peoples are broken. This world is broken. And God, we come with questions. We come with swirling thoughts. Jesus, what do we have to bring before you? The reality of the spiritual realm, the reality of the gospel of Jesus, the reality of life and death, of judgment and salvation, of heaven and hell is all real. And yet, we are blind. 
we are bored. We have lost our first love. We have lost the luster of our faith. What do we have to go ahead of us? What excuses do we actually carry? And yet, Lord, you have sent your son. You knew that we would be no different than Micah and the people of Israel during this time. And yet, you have sent your son. Abba, we pray for, as we have sung today, we pray for a greater awareness of your Holy Spirit this morning. Make yourself known, Jesus. In the words that we hear, make yourself known. May we no longer play any games with you, God. For this is the time, more so than ever, where we should stand before you. And yet this is the time where we stutter. This is the time where we hesitate. When death is at our doorstep, God. Jesus, protect our people. Have mercy on our country. Help us to come into greater awareness of who you are. May we truly come before you. Holy Spirit, take your people to the next level with you. We give you glory and honor and praise. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. We are going through Micah, and normally I read to you guys the main idea, but I will not read to you guys the main idea today, because I think that today is a very, very, um, I don't know, I was really convicted while reading this and while preparing the sermon, and um, normally when I feel, you know, some level of conviction, I'll be like, oh my god, oh my god, this sermon is so difficult to preach, but like, it is so difficult that I can't even not, I cannot even vocalize that right now. I think not because of how much God is going to come for our lives, but how real this might be in a lot of our hearts. The title of this sermon is a direct quote from what we've read today, and it's, what have I done to you? Question mark. Answer me. Um, I'm going to read that title one more time. What have I done to you? Answer me. This verse, this chapter starts with a very interesting procession and an announcement uh, of God's indictment of Israel. Now, it t- he takes two, you know, verses. He says, you know, look, he talks to the mountains, he talks to the hills, he talks to the rest of his creation to be alert at God's indictment. And there's this huge procession. Now this language, Israel will notice it immediately. We need to be notified. But this language of how God announces his indictment is actually very telling of a court case at the time of Israel. This is how, you know, lawyers and prosecutors come with their case before a judge. And so the way that God is announcing to the hills and to the mountains, for everybody, for all of creation, not just mankind, but for all of creation, to bear witness to the indictment of the Lord, 
is very telling of a case. And so Israel, while we have heard God bring case and case before Israel, Israel will feel a little bit like thrown off because they'll be like, oh, you know, why, why, why are you, why are you, why are you, why are you bringing a case before your people? What have we done? And so Israel is taken off guard at this point. And with deep sadness and stern resolve, God indicates his covenant lawsuit is against his own people. Now, if it's to the point where God is bringing a formal suit against his people, there are serious accusations of what? Covenant unfaithfulness. Serious accusations of unfaithfulness to bring against them. And God is confronting Israel. He starts by asking two questions about what he's done wrong. Now that's a restore that's a rhetorical conversation that can be had. Um it's a rhetorical conversation and it's a rhetorical skill that can be used by lawyers to kind of, you know, cement a greater case than to just state um their case against Israel from the get-go. But and there's a lot of questions as to why God starts his suit against Israel with two questions. But as God lays out his case before Israel, the intention of God asking these questions becomes more clear. And God asks, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. Why does he do that? First of all, it projects God's love. It projects God's love and his deep care for his people rather than a desire to end things. If God didn't want, if what God wanted in this point, in this point was to judge Israel, then God would not have taken this compassionate of direction because God has no reason to appeal to anybody. He is the judge. And yet, God shows infinite amounts of compassion and remorse for the ways that Israel is acting. And he says, why is there such neglect by Israel? Why is there so much boredom with the things of God? I'm going to repeat that one more time. Because I think that when God allowed my when God allowed me to be able to catch this from what God is saying, I really believe that all of us, many of us, might be at this very state with the Lord, okay? Why is there so much neglect of our walk with God by Israel? And why is there such boredom with the things of God? This deep Dullness of the hearts of Israel. Granted, at this time, they were being attacked on all ends. Assyria is about to bang down their doors. Their nation is about to crumble. Multiple towns have already been plundered. You might say that there is a lot of reason to not focus on God. Just like now. Amidst our elections, amidst the d- deep chasms of disunity 
in the members of the body of Christ on justice and social issues. Amidst a global pandemic that people have no idea why, that people have no understanding as to why it's even happening to begin with. You might feel like those are good reasons to neglect your faith and to be bored with the things of God. And yet, God brings this procession before Israel during such a time as our own, where injustice runs rampant in his people. And he says, why are you so wearied by me? What have I done to you? And he demands an answer. Answer me. Why does God take such a grieved, bereaved approach to Israel right now? When a parent keys their child, I, I, I don't know if you guys have caused trouble to your families before, but I have probably... I have probably been the source of all, maybe, maybe three-fourths of my mother's tears um, in my short life uh, for her entire lifetime combined. And my mother has been through severe amounts of suffering and trauma throughout her young adulthood um, because she came to America very early and she's been through hell and back uh, just to even get to the point where I was born. And yet, I think I have caused a good three-fourths of my mother's lifetime of tears. So I don't know. I, I, you know, you guys are all great kids and great, great people as adults as well. Um, but I, I, I was not a great kid. And um, one thing that my mom always did every time I got in trouble, you know, with the school, with the popo, um, you know, when I got you know, in a lot of different situations where she caught my pack, you know, like just all sorts of situations. When situation after situation arose, there was always this one way that my mother acted. Um, and actually she had the same reaction even for when, even for when I was sick and when I was also, you know, mentally not well and was in the hospital. And that this, this, Universal reaction to my suffering as much as my sin was her, you know, wailing and pounding on her chest and say, why, what did I do wrong? Right. And, you know, you might have been in situations where you're, you might not have, some of your parents might be really strong. Um, I have, I broke my mom. My mom is a very, she's an eight. She's a very strong woman, but uh, I definitely, I, I uh, rebelled to the point where I broke her. And, uh, she, you know, beat her chest wailing, you know, asking what she did to deserve my hatred or what she did to deserve, you know, my delinquency or, and, um, that's like one way we might see this kind of reaction. Another time that you might see this reaction because this reaction doesn't just happen. And, and this is why I want to make something clear. It's not just about, you know, Oh, what did I do wrong that my child is, is like this? You know, what did I do wrong that my child is this bad? Sometimes it's like, what did I do wrong to deserve your anger? When you fight with your parents and you slam the door on them or you leave them, you leave their home, you come back to your own families. You don't talk to them for months and they're just wailing in their own asking why, why does my child dislike me so much? Haven't I provided? Haven't I been the best that I could? Why? And they don't understand, right? Because they have 
in their brokenness they had. Another time we see this kind of reaction is when is is in a relationship. Um, I don't know if your families have been through um, heartbreak of a breaking of marriage or even I don't know if you have been through substantial amounts of heartbreak. Uh, but there often comes a point where one person will heave their chest and cry and wonder why, why, why this this love has grown cold. When a love, you know, grows cold and grows and runs dry, and you're sitting there wondering what happened, where did everything go wrong, how come this person no longer loves me anymore. What is it that I have done? And you blame yourself. We've all been in situations, maybe ourselves, maybe we were the ones inflicting or causing this pain for another person. But we've all been through a moment where we've heaved our chest or if somebody has heaved our chest, their chest on our behalf, asking what they did that things have gone so south. And I've been on both ends, right? Um, I've been on both ends. There was this one time, my first substantial relationship, when I broke up with that first substantial relationship, um, my heartbreak lasted for maybe about two years. And it was, it was bad. It was bad. Um, I don't like to talk about it because I really don't know how to put the words to it because heartbreak is one of those things. If you haven't gone through it, then you won't know. Um, you might say, you know, why isn't this person not over this breakup but when you when you when you feel like your heart was tethered to somebody uh and then that love fades it's it's painful um it's really really hard and for me i i i dealt with that on my own for two years and i still i still have i don't know how i don't know how i don't have real words to describe it um and so that that's that's one thing, but when, when a parent goes through it, it's, I've been on the receipt, I've been on the receiving end of that, of those cries as well. And you know, when I, when I'm, when those cries are directed at me, when somebody's asking me, heaving their chest, asking me, why, what did I do to deserve this? You know, I, I often felt called out. Um, and so I didn't really like it. And so I remember when, you know, my mom was just being vulnerable. Um, there was this one situation where um, I, I I was about to leave my home, and and I did end up leaving my home. So I lived apart from my parents for a substantial amount of my high school career. Um, but when I left my home, my my parent, um, you know, heaved their chest and was crying to me, Jane, what did I do that you want to leave me? Like, what did I do that you want to leave home? Why, why can't you just stay? What did I do? What did I do? And, um, when I, when I was on the receiving end of it, I felt really called out. And so what, what often happened when my mom would ask me these questions is my heart would actually harden even more. Um, and I would really not want to, you know, listen to her. Um, some part of my heart would get really soft. But the other part of my heart would be like, you're victimizing yourself and I'm the one in pain and I would shut down and not listen to her. Um, It took me to grow up 
maybe seven, eight years for me to realize that that was my mother being vulnerable. And when we first hear God saying, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. Our first reaction might be to shut off our heart to the Lord um, because we feel called out. Because we feel called out by God when life isn't all okay. And if God is really with us, then why is life not okay? And why do we go through hard things? And yet, why are you the one to get angry at us for wrestling with these things? For Why are you the one to get, to get upset at us for not being faithful to you when life is difficult? Um, and at first glance, you might feel defensive in reaction to God's question. But one really important thing to, to that I want to point out that I only learned as an adult and that some of you, I hope you guys can learn earlier than me, is that God is not confronting to judge Israel and to say, you're bad. But he's confronting a misunderstanding of love between him and Israel to resolve the conflict and restore mutual commitment. The reason why God doesn't say you're wrong, you are deserving of exile and shut down Israel and instead says, what have I done wrong? It's because God is trying to get past his hurt, past his pain and his people no longer feeling like faith is worth it to confront the issue and the misunderstanding at hand and to restore relationship. And he asks, why is there such neglect by Israel, such boredom with the things of God? You might wonder, you know, God sounds a little whiny here, but, you know, he's just really sad. You know, when somebody's clearly doing something wrong, when somebody's clearly going down the wrong path, and you're frustrated because they're not going to listen to you even if you tell them otherwise. And so you just get sad. You say, what, what have I done? That's kind of the situation that God is in right now with us, with North Boston, with Andover, with Massachusetts, with America. The place that God is at is grief, not judgment. Um, now I don't mean to say that and have it be a personal attack on you guys because it's not I, I really believe that Micah and most prophetic words are to nations um, but because it is towards a nation we might feel like we have less personal responsibility and that's not true it falls as just just as much on our heads as the most xenophobic most oppressive being in this world as well um, and so that's something to really consider, that we are human beings with agency. We are human beings with a duty to act. Um, and so God is grieving how, how Israel has grown bored of him, how Israel has begun to neglect their faith. And then we go into verses 6 through 7. Israel's response. And Israel's response is also something that is very relevant to us. Israel then says, what do we do? Do we come before him with lambs? 
Do we come before him with lambs that are calf old or calves that are year old? Do we give him the first fruits of our womb to cleanse the sins of our souls? At first, you might feel like Israel is saying, what do we do next? But Israel, what Israel is actually saying is Israel is exasperated. Like many of you guys might be when you hear this, right? Israel is saying, we've done everything. We've prayed, we've stayed in church, quarantine is difficult, and we don't even understand everything. And yet, we have not lost the faith. What more can I actually do? It is so difficult to believe in God right now. And yes, that's true. And I completely relate to you. I completely relate to you. We've done everything. We've bowed low when we come into the presence of God. Is that not enough? We've prayed. We've served. We've sacrificed our time. But you know, there is something that is very telling about the ways that God addresses the response of Israel here. Because what is the focus of Israel when Israel says, when Israel gets exasperated? The focus is on doing things. Oh God, it's it's been really hard for me to pray. So you know what? I'm still going to show up. God, it's been really difficult for me to obey and not fall into the sin that I have because I'm alone most of the time and I have no accountability. But God, I'm going to still show up. God, you know, I, I've I've begun to, you know, fall into old habits and I've begun to stop caring as much. And I know that it's really difficult during quarantine and, and, and I don't, I don't blame and, and I know, and I know, you know, it's been really difficult to have faith in the middle of quarantine. So I'm going to wait until everything opens up to really devote myself to you again. And next time when I come, I'm going to bring everything. Oh God, like, look at what I've done. I'm going to make it up to you. And it's this emphasis on what we can offer the Lord. It's this emphasis on giving, on making up for things, on sacrificing to counteract our disobedience. Or maybe our dwindling beliefs or the dwindling relationship. Maybe our beliefs are still the same, but just the relationship with God is dwindling. What does God say here? He says, he gets all sad. And he says, that's not the point. That's not the point. It's like when, and and it's really interesting here because God paints this both familial and also romantic picture of two lovers that are clearing something up. 
when misunderstandings between you and your loved one piles, you know, oh, this person, like, for example, like if I'm with a significant other, right? Maybe the significant other turned away from me a little too early and I, I got a little bit sad about that. And so I started acting a little bit cold, but then that significant other began to get sad that I was acting cold and wondering what he could have done. And then this just piles up until one of us explodes. Or maybe, you know, somebody said, maybe a significant other said to me, I love you. And I said, thank you. Instead of, we all have had these moments, I'm sure. Whether or not we've been in a relationship before, we've all had these moments where we've said the wrong thing and it's bit us in the butt afterwards, right? Where, you know, somebody says, I love you. And then you say, thank you. And that person's like, what? Oh, so you don't love me back? This happens in friendships, happens in family, happens in... And then these misunderstandings start to build. And then you're like, oh, why doesn't this person want to spend time with me? Why doesn't my sibling want to spend time with me? Or, you know, why don't my parents love me as, as much as my, my other siblings? Or, you know, why, why is this person, you know, pushing me out? Um, and then you're like, no, that's my reaction, honestly. I don't think, maybe some of you guys are more noble than me. But my reaction is to be like, all right, well, if you don't want me, then I don't want you, right? And that's not a good reaction. Uh, I just want to, for the record, I'm not, I'm not encouraging that reaction. Uh, I'm saying that sometimes I cannot help but anyway so uh you know sometimes I'll be like oh really you don't like me that I don't like you right and then the other person will get really sad because that person was not trying to communicate to me <laughs> that they don't love me right um and these kind of misunderstandings they build um and I, I think God is clearing the air here you know I think I think God is clearing the, the, the air about, about what, what he wants from his people. So then what does God want anyway? What does God want? And then here comes the very, very famous verse. Verse 8, where it says, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Now I want to break down these three things. The first thing is do justice, acting justly towards others. What is this talking about? It's talking about mutual respect for people. That means protection for slaves, for the poor, for the orphans, for the widows, for the people at the bottom of the social strata. Those were the, those were the most marginalized. Those four groups were the most marginalized people during that time. During the time of Micah, it was the slaves, the poor, the orphans, and the widows. And who are the most marginalized in our society today? We don't have slavery, thank God. But we might as well. Because so many people are so oppressed by so many structures set in place that advantage some and completely cripple others. Doing justice has to do with right social relationships between people. Why? 
And this is where I want to clarify something. This is something that people don't touch upon enough. To do justice is to have mutual respect for all other, all other creation of God. Living and non-living, right? And to have right social relationships between individuals. Doing justice prohibits abuse. It prohibits any kind of behavior that is confiscating other people's possessions or something that they rightfully deserve or treating people inhumanely and dehumanizing other individuals or selfishly cheating other people of what they deserve. Or bringing, inflicting emotional, physical, psychological harm. To do justice is God's call against abuse of people. But we tend to blame God for the systematic and individual abuses of individuals. When God's call prohibits it. So my question to pause here is, who is to blame for abuse? Who is to blame? This is a difficult thing that I had to address within myself because I have been, um, I some of you guys might know my testimony, some of you guys might not, um, and I'm totally willing to share. Although I'm still, I'm still uncovering a lot because I am still young. Um, but I have, I, I remember I opened a psychology textbook and there's like a wheel of abuses. There are like five kinds of abuses. I can't name them all off the top of my head anymore, but it's like physical, sexual, emotional, psychological, and then verbal maybe, or I, I mix, I'm missing up emotional and psychological and there's something else there. And I have encountered all five. All I remember is that I went through every single one of them and I've encountered all five. Um, amounts of all five that are. You know, just one is enough to hurt somebody irreversibly. Um, but at a very early age, at a very formative age, I've experienced all five. And for the longest time, I blamed God. For the longest time when I was hurting, I blamed God. Why me? Why, why do I have to be born this way? And this person doesn't get to be born this way. Why my life? What did I do? What did I do? Am I, am I just a worse person? Am I just worse off? Am I that deserving of hatred? Am I that deserving of mistreatment? Why, why, why do I get to, why do I have to be born into these conditions and other people get to be born with full, complete families and big homes and, you know, a full family surrounded by love and affection and kindness? How come I'm born like this? And I, I used to blame God. Every night, I lived on the seventh floor. From my bedroom, you can see the Empire State and the moon. You know, because it, it's just, it's, it was just a tall, a tall um, apartment building. Um, and you can see, like, I can see the Empire State from my, from my 
from my room and and also like the moon is always inside because my my room is in the corner of a building um so i would have a window on this wall and on this wall because it would be on the corner and every night um i would be all my fears would come out right before i sleep i would put my hands together and i would pray to god i'd say why god god i'm gonna go to sleep now when i wake up god can all of this disappear god can you make me can you make my life a little bit better when i wake up tomorrow morning God, can you can you bring back my father? Can you can you can you make my relationship with my mom better? Can you heal my grandmother? Can you can you heal me of of this brokenness? God, when I wake up tomorrow morning, can my life be a little different? And I would sleep and I would wake up every morning and it would be the same. It would be the exact same. In years and years and years of that led me to be so terribly angry. And so all of my high school career, I was really, really angry. But one thing that this passage shows us is that that was never in our design. Abuse was never in God's design for you. Yes, you can say, but God is in control of all of these things. How could God not stop it? But I addressed that last week when I said, the root of suffering and the root of human violence is the same root as sin. To ask God to make our suffering better, but to keep the world the same is impossible. In order for God to address once and for all the suffering and human violence of everybody, judgment day would have to come now. And we would be judged now. It would have to be, both would have to be addressed at the same time because it happens for the same reason. You don't get to just keep your life and be relieved of your pain. And yet, God does tell us here that our call as Christians and in that, our design as God's people prohibits abuse of others. The second thing is loving kindness. In other translations, it says loving mercy. But the the wooden definition of, of this word is actually, it's hesed. It's loving hesed. And hesed is covenant love. It's Steadfast loving kindness is the best way you can translate it into English. And what God is saying here is loving covenant loyalty here. So what God is asking for from his people is actually loyalty to the covenant. And it's not just, it's, it's, it goes hand in hand with doing justice. It's loving and being committed to the covenant that God had given us before. So it's not just like about justice and mercy, but it's about this spirit of grace and and mercy and generosity and loyalty because we have received it first. So it's not just about outward behavior toward another person, but it's an outworking of a deep commitment to life with God within God's community. So as, as we are active agents 
And as we are active members of God's community, internally, and we are committed and loyal to the things of God, we do justice. And it's about this this commitment to what God loves. And the third thing is a humble walk with God. Now, this word humility, everybody might think like, oh, it's just talking about humbleness, you know, forgetting yourself and thinking of God. Uh, But the reason why the word humble is used is is particularly to describe the absence of pride. Um, To not be prideful with God. When you walk with God, I, I, I tend to be prideful with the Lord. It's like, God, I'll give you 70%. <laughs> uh, I don't know how to work this out yet, and I don't know how to let you touch it, and I'm pretty defensive about this, so I'm just going to leave this to the side. God, I, I can give you all of this, but I'm not ready to give this up yet, and I don't like how you're speaking into it, so I'm just going to put it on a shelf. And maybe when I'm older, maybe I'm, when I'm wiser, I'll be able to give it up to you. But that's pridefulness. That would, in order for that to be okay, you would have to be equal with God. In that sense, you're keeping what you like and you're getting God's sloppy seconds. When it comes to a pie chart of your life. That's difficult. That's hard. That's offensive for me to say aloud. That's offensive for people to listen. That's offensive for me to say. That's offensive for me to hear. That's offensive for me to apply. It's just, it's just negative. <laughs> I don't like it. Because I have things that I have a hard time giving up to God. Just as much as all of you guys. I'm no different. I'm no better. But this humble walk with God is addressing more than it is addressing humility. It's addressing a lack of pridefulness and an attentiveness, a careful mindfulness to follow God rather than carelessly going your own way. It's like, oh, I'm not too sure about this, but I'm just going to keep doing what I want. Instead, God is asking for carefulness. Some like to translate this actually as wisdom. Mindfulness about where you are stepping with a lack of pride. When it comes to God. So you would be careful. So as to not just walk in something that you think is right. But to walk in what God wants. Out of. That love that he's given to you. Now Israelites are very focused at this point on actions. And God takes a different approach. Instead of. You know instead of. Normally in scripture you see. This intention of the heart leads to this attitude and then this behavior. But God actually takes it the opposite way. He says, this behavior coming from this attitude that comes from this intention. So it's walking with God, mindfully, carefully, humbly, that leads to this commitment to hesed. That leads to... What does the main thing happen? What is the main thing that happens when these two things are in place in our hearts and when God is where he is supposed to be? We do justice by everyone. 
What is God addressing here? We zoom out of these three things to look at the greater picture. And we see Israel exasperated because God's like, what have I done? Why have I wearied you? And Israel's like, what more can we do? And God is like, this is what I'm asking you for. It's one of the most fundamental things that God clears with us time and time again. And that's to obey is better than sacrifice. God doesn't need your minutes. He doesn't need your Wednesdays. He doesn't need your Sundays. He wants your life. Not to just take it from you and give you the whole, and and take your whole pie away from you, but to give you all that he has for you. When we hold on to the things that we want to do, and when we, when we, when we get bored and we neglect our relationship with God just so that we can do what we want, it's like holding on to a piece of mud more tightly than the feast that God has prepared. There is nothing that we can hold on to that is worth more than God, what God is going to give us. If only we were to be open-handed. And yet that is the most difficult thing that we have as human beings. And you know what? Because we are not open-handed, not just as individuals, not just as churches, but as a nation, because we are not open-handed, that is why we are in this situation. Don't just blame it on corruption. And don't just blame it on sin. What it is, is that we are more quick to sacrifice than to obey. And we are more quick to do than to walk with God. The very root of our struggles with the Lord right now is the very reason why the U.S. is in this hellhole. We have nobody to blame. We are all culpable. And that's hard. And that's why God starts with this beg with a plea. Why, why don't you want me anymore? Why won't you talk to me anymore? What have I done that has hurt you or wearied you? To the point where you aren't willing to talk to me anymore. Please answer me. And that's a call to put down our defensive, our defenses, to be open to what God has for us. The rest of verse six, uh, chapter six that we haven't read here is God indicting his people, saying, therefore, I will bring this judgment upon you, Israel. And as you read the rest of this, a lot of you guys might be thinking, well, why does God punish people then? If God loves these people so much, how come he doesn't give them a second chance? How come he's punishing them? My answer to you is, Don't just focus on the temporary cost 
Because see, Israel was going to do this time and time again. And one thing that we don't like to address, when we get mad at God for judging The one thing that we won't like to address in our hearts is that Israel deserves it. We're quick to say, I know Israel deserves it, but is God not gracious? We tend to make light of the fact that Israel actually deserves this punishment. And it has been coming for them for hundreds of years. That God has been begging them to look at him for hundreds of years prior to this point. We are so quick. To say, God, what is wrong with you? When Israel deserves it. Because you know what? If Israel deserves it, so do we. And we show a lot of grace on ourselves. We do. And this is not, Israel has not committed huge crimes. So you guys might be like, it's not all that bad. If we are the kings of the world, it's not all that bad. You know, if that's our standard and if that's our measure, if that's our measurement by which we measure everything, yeah, then it's not all that bad. We're not, guys. That's like an objective reality that none of us can change. None of us and humankind, we are not the rulers of this world. Um, That's just not it. Then that standard that we have is not What is it based off? Um, And here's the kicker. Here's the kicker because Micah is about the hope of Jesus. 800 years before or 600 years before he comes. Here's the kicker. God indicts Israel and then promises Jesus. 2,600 years later, we are exactly the same way. But God has sent his son. And that indictment that falls on Israel then has been paid for fully now. You might say, why does God punish them? Why does God not save them? My answer to you is, he has. Don't underestimate the goodness of God. 2,000 years ago, at the perfect time, at the appointed Kairos moment, God didn't just pay for it. He paid for it with his life. Just so it can all be paid for. So stop blaming God. Stop blaming God for this situation. Stop Blaming God for your troubles. You can wrestle with the weight of our situation. You can wrestle with the weight of your situation, but stop putting it on the Lord. To the point where you are unwilling to hear his plea. Would we lay down our defenses and be open 
would be lay down our pride and be mindful. We're so quick to turn from God. But like I said earlier, I am quick to turn from somebody, love, when I feel like they don't love me anymore. And a lot of the times when we've messed up, we might find that the reason why we turn away from God is because we're not sure if he loves us anymore. I don't believe in God as much as I used to. I don't pray as much as I used to. I don't serve as much as I used to. I'm compromised spiritually. I'm not doing well anymore. I don't know what went wrong, but I'm not sure if he loves me as much as he does Pastor Jake. He loves my parents. He loves my pastor. He might even love the leaders of my congregation, but I don't know if that love is for me. And God is pleading for us to just lower our defenses and see what he has done for us so that we can be committed again. He's trying to correct a deep, deep misunderstanding. So we no longer have to be like, oh, no. And we can be committed to him. We can get past our commitment issues with God and we can be committed to him because his love hasn't gone away. He's clearing up a misunderstanding that has built up in your hearts because of the injustices and the sufferings that you have seen as a collective and as individuals. How can we apply this? The first thing is to lay down our defenses, as we've talked about. The second thing is to remember the grace of God. God recounts how God has been faithful to Israel. God recounts Moses, and he recounts time and time again how he has loved Israel, how he has saved Israel, despite Israel's failures, through Israel's brokenness and weaknesses. God has showed up for Israel time and time again, and Israel has been happy in the moment, but is quick to forget. And God is saying, remember? Some of us might think, God has never shown up like that to me for, to begin with. And my... My question to that is, are you sure? Are you sure he's not trying to do that for you right now? It took me years to come before the Lord and to be open to the, to the love of my parents again. It took me years to be open to the will and the love of God again. But the way that God saved my life I'll never forget it. It's talking about Luke 15 and God, you know, it's just this crazy love that God had for his people. And I was like, oh, you have that for everybody else. But I don't know if you have that for me. Just this girl that had done too much, gone too far, seen too much pain, too broken, too effed up in a corner. In a corner, just crying. And God just letting me see every act of love that I had ever experienced. To this screwed up little girl. 
to this broken little child. Because let's face it, I was 19, but I was still a child. Um, and I was just, you know, just seeing all of it flash before my very eyes. I'm like, God, why are you showing me every hug and every gift I've ever received? Why am I seeing this? And I was very skeptical of God. And God says, all of this is a fraction of a fraction of my love for you. It wasn't his judgment or his correction that led me to be different. It was an acceptance of his love for me in very unexpected places that had been there my whole life that had led me to confront a relationship with him and be with him and walk with him. It was hard. We must remember the grace of God, not just to ourselves, but to our families, not just to our families, but to our countries, our ethnic heritage, how God has been faithful to our people for hundreds of years. Never forget it. Never forget how God brought your parents here. Never forget how God delivered you. Never forget how God saved you. Remember your first love. The third thing is, is that we get burdened about making up for our actions and we get defensive at the same time. We have often have a misunderstanding about what God really wants from us. We think that what God wants is 30 minutes of prayer and 45 minutes of reflection. We think that what God wants of us is being an effective, performative leader to be able to guide everybody. What he wants of us is to care for every single soul. But in our misunderstanding of what God wants from us and the expectations that God has from us, it betrays what we are really doing. Who are you trying to please? Yourself or God? Who are you trying to make yourself, who are you trying to make feel better? Yourself or the Lord? Why are you trying to make up for something? Why are you trying to make up for a grace that you can't ever pay for? There is something fundamentally wrong about us trying to make up for our actions. It's the love of God that covers the multitudes of our weaknesses and our sins that awes us, that strikes us, that moves us and renders us to tears and brings us to the place where we can talk to him again. Come back to him rather than trying to pay the price. Come before the Lord. Lastly, be mindful. Walk humbly with God. This is a really important thing for all of us. We need carefulness to follow the will of God. All it takes is a moment of rash action to confuse the will of God and our own will. It's very easy for us to put the will of God above our own. Maybe what you think is for you to have to give everything up for the Lord and go into seminary. If that's not the will of God, that's rash. Maybe you think God wants me to do this, 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 and this, and that. And my question to you is, where did you get that from?
We have to be careful to love people out of God's love for us rather than our own love. This is very important. You might be doing justice, but not walking humbly with your God. In that case, your doing justice is out of your own reservoir of your own heart. And it's got nothing to do with God. But God doesn't need that. Other people don't need your limited compassion. What they need is the love of God. We must be careful to love others out of his love for us. We must be careful. It is hard, but it is worth it. We must be careful not to virtue signal, even in our own congregation. And say, why are you not doing justly? Why are you not loyal? No, we we need to be able to walk humbly with other people as we walk humbly with the Lord. Before you call another person out, and this is speaking to myself, I've repented over this over and over again. If 2020 has been anything for me, it has been a year of repentance when it comes to injustice, of the ways that I have been ignorant, of the ways that I am prideful, before you are quick to call somebody out, be careful. Walk humbly with your God. Make sure that everything you're saying is out of God's love. See, justice is not your personal vendetta or your personal incentive or objective. Justice is God's. Remember to not take lightly the injustices you see in this world. Remember not to love other people out of your own human compassion and your own human willingness to bear their burdens and your own human willingness to want better lives for them because what they need is God's love, not yours. This is the attitude of behavior and behavior of worship in our daily lives. It is hard, but worth it. So don't let it become a chore. It's not a chore. It's love. Love is difficult as much as it is rewarding. And remember this, even in work, even in school, be careful to follow the walk of God. Be honest, live with integrity. Don't just compartmentalize your faith from your vocation. This church, this is what we suck at the most. How do you deal with money? Do we tell the truth? I struggle with this. Are you a woman, are you a woman or a man of integrity in school right now on Zoom? I cannot look into the camera as I say that. Um, that was one of those things where I was like, hmm? I need to work on that a lot, a lot. So uh, me applying this into my week is going to look very different as finals week approaches. Um, don't just be ruth- ruthless in business because it's business. You're a Christian. 
before you are a businesswoman or a businessman. Be careful. Church, be careful. Remember the grace of God. Lay down your defensiveness. And walk towards God. Can we take a moment to pray? Maybe some of us struggle with the justice bit. Maybe some of us struggle with trying to do more things for the Lord rather than to let ourselves be changed, trying to pay back God's favor. That's also pride. To not be able to sit with the grace of God and to try to work hard to give it back. It might come from an unwillingness to let the love of God change your life. Maybe some of us are really convicted by this first call that God has. Why have I wearied you? What have I done to you? Answer me. Because maybe some of us have built up neglect in our faith. Maybe we have gotten bored. I don't know where you guys are at. I know where I'm at, though. And I can tell you that I'm right there with you. That that is such a hard thing. It is so easy to just do things. It's so easy to just skip that time with God. It is so easy to want to, you know, to feel guilty about not being close to God and want to repay him threefold. And have that be our our, our knee-jerk reaction to faith. Let God's grace sink in this morning. Could we just, and I do this all the time, but could we just put our palms above us, in front of us like this, parallel to our knees if we're sitting, with our palms open towards the Lord. Could we let, at this, at this moment, right now, at this time, would we, will you join me in letting God's grace sink in? not his correction. It's not his judgment that leads us to repentance. It's his love that leads us to be different, that leads us to be renewed, that leads us to be strengthened. It's his love. Would you receive his love this morning? For some of us, you might say, I've never. I don't understand. I don't understand. I still, Jane, you're saying all of these things, but I still struggle with suffering. I still struggle with blaming God. I still have these misunderstandings about God. Would you bring them before the Lord? And this time, instead of just being defensive, demanding, would we be open to what God has to say? Open to ourselves being wrong. Open to letting God speak into our situations. Sometimes, Pain is selfish. We might be so stuck in the way that we see things that we might not be able to see what God is trying to communicate to you. So would you take this moment with me to allow God to communicate to you? Let's pray. God. 
from wherever you are listening, we hope you are blessed by this week's message. For more information, check out our website at mbkumc.com.